Alright, what's good y'all? Welcome back to The Cycle 365. I am one of your co-hosts today, Simon Vodianos. And I am Jesse Putin. And on episode 21, recorded on February 18th, 2020, we're going to talk about a lot of things. But first off, we're going to start with the XFL. We're going to give y'all a recap just to start. Yes, we are. So it was the second week of the XFL. Still a big hit. Lots of people like it. Oh, yeah. And it looks like it's gaining a lot of ground and traction, and it's going to continue to roll. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what's our first game that we're yeah, going to start with? We had some week? good matchups this week, but the first one of the week was the New York Guardians at the D.C. Defenders. Ooh. The D.C. Defenders absolutely put it to the New York Guardians, 27-0. Very true. Um, yeah, that was the score. It came down to the, <laughs> basically came down to the fact that... Uh, you know, Matt McGloin played terrible. <laughs> yeah, he got exposed. And we, I mean, I, I'm not going to say we saw this coming, but we knew last week that <clears throat> that he uh, he really had a very limited role in that win over the Vipers, right? Because mm-hmm. the Vipers were just not having it. But, yeah, he got exposed. And this is a good D.C. Defenders squad. Like, this is yeah, probably the are, juggernaut. Going yeah, they in. are probably, maybe besides Houston, the best team in the XFL. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt at all. Um, but still, though, so for Matt McGloin, he did make some comments that were uh, very questionable at the at the least. He basically said that the play calling was terrible and all that, and then he got pitched. So, Jesse, do you think he's going to start later this week, or is it, is it time to hand it over to Luis Perez? I think he's going to get <coughs> one more week to start. I really do, unfortunately. Okay. I don't think they're going to win. I think he's going to play terrible again. But that's their choice. But I don't think I think they'll give him one more chance. Just for a reference, for people that know stats, um, Matt McGloin had a ten quarterback rating. Ten. Yeah. One zero. Oh, it was yeah. bad. <laughs> it was very bad. Most quarterbacks hover around like in the average is what, seventy five or something like that, seventy five mm-hmm. passer rating. And the good ones are at up to a hundred passer rating. Yeah. But man, Matt McGloin had a ten passer rating. Oh yeah. Which is terrible. But I do think he'll start one more week, and I think they're going to lose. <laughs> yeah, probably. But we'll have to see. So this is just a quick stat. The D.C. Defenders defense has allowed an average. So they've only played two games. But they've allowed an average of a 54.4 pass rating, which is the leading mark in the XFL. <clears throat> and that's against quarterbacks like Matt McLaurin, you know, Aaron Murray, um, slash kind of Quentin Flowers. And so this is a good D.C. Defenders defense. That's how dominant they are. But I think it is fair to possibly give Matt McGloin another week. But me and you both kind of know what kind of player he is. And it might be time to move know, on. Give, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, move on and give the guy that may have a, a little bit of a higher ceiling a chance to start for the Guardians. Because I feel like they have a good squad around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so, they definitely do. Um, I think on. in this game also, it, Cardell Jones played really well again. Mm-hmm. Um we were talking about it, talking about it, me and Simon right before this that uh, really, with the exception of maybe Jordan Tayamu every once in a while, there's really only two quarterbacks in the XFL that are really performing for anything. Right. And that is Cardell Jones and PJ Walker. Yeah. Um, so Cardell Jones, I mean, he was one of the faces of the XFL going into it. Like they had, they wanted to make him a centerpiece of this league, mm-hmm. and I think so far through the first two weeks, again, it's only two weeks, we still need at least two more weeks to really get good gauges on this team, these yeah. teams, but um, through the first two weeks, Cardell Jones looks like 
uh, one of the top, well, yeah, the, the number two quarterback, and it looks like he'll continue to do that and lead this DC Defenders team to, at this point, possibly the championship. Yep, I agree. Uh, Cardale Jones looks as good uh, as an NFL quarterback as any, to be honest, at this point. It's really interesting seeing him play because he's doing so well. It definitely has me thinking about like what other quarterbacks could, uh, you know, benefit from joining the XFL for one year. But yeah, he, so he looks good. Um, I think, I mean, you just said it. He looks the most NFL ready. He could go onto an NFL squad and not screw up too much. Obviously, there are things that he could still tweak, and you could see it, you know, in his XFL games. Like he might be slightly inaccurate, or his he might be a little like you know half step slow making his reads and whatnot. But the the talent is there, and that's what matters. And he's been leading this team, and he makes really big plays when they need him. And that's I mean that's really all you could ask for. Yeah. So yeah. I think you're right. Um, there were two receivers that came up big as well. Obviously, if Cardell Jones had a good time, his receivers had a good game. Yeah. Um, so, in particular, we'll look at two guys. Um, DeAndre Tompkins, who mm. was supposed to be one of these top receivers on this team coming in. There was a lot of hype around him. Yeah. Um, he had six receptions for 92 yards and a touchdown. And then... He had a great game. He did, and then we have Rashard Ross, who has been coming on recently for this team as well as the number two. Yeah. Um, he also had 90 receiving yards, 95 receiving yards on four receptions. So these two are benefiting from Cardell Jones, and Cardell Jones has found um, a lot of chemistry with these two receivers and with the uh, addition of Eli Rogers as well. So like they have yeah. a good they have a good connection going there in DC, oh, yeah. and we look forward to it to continue to to roll. For sure. Did you see that Eli Rogers skipped his mother's funeral for this game? I did not. I Yeah, I did not know that. I mean, like, it's nice because he had a solid game. But, yeah, so the funeral was happening at the same time as the game. And so, I mean, he said his mother would want him to play, which is nice. And so he decided to play in that game instead. And uh, I thought that was an interesting little thing. It was a good story to have, I'd say. It was mm-hmm. a nice little story. Yep. Yeah. All right, so the next game of the day, what do we got? Uh, this is also on Saturday. The, e- the evening game on Saturday was the Tampa Bay Vipers <laughs> at the Seattle Dragons. Yeah, all the right. The Seattle Dragons won 17-9. to Yes, and if I could just say, um, Seattle was going off like the crowd was insane. This is just a little stat there, but I, I don't know if they – I'm pretty sure they don't have the biggest stadium in the XFL. Because they do play in the same stadium as the Seahawks, but they only open like the lower bowl and not the upper half, right? But they still sold out to almost a, they sold out to a crowd of thirty thousand people, and it wasn't like they left it like they were all there the whole game. And I remember specifically, you know, Marcel Frazier, defensive end, he like he, you know he was rushing quarterback and he jumped up and basically snatched the ball away from the quarterback as he threw it and then ran it in for the touchdown and like the stadium went berserk and all that and it was insane it definitely affected the game in my opinion I see yeah uh, in my opinion this was probably the most boring game of the, of the week oh yeah it didn't take off until both like the teams, fourth yeah both teams were struggling most of the game and yeah. if you watched it the announcers were saying oh, this must be a defensive struggle for the game. But in real life, it was just the neither Vipers. offense could do anything. Yeah. So, because Brandon Silvers is not a good quarterback. And then, don't even get us started on the Vipers quarterbacks, especially with Mark Tressman overlooking Quentin Flowers. 
I think if you talk about if you or if you go back and listen for to our podcast from last week, mm-hmm. um, we did say that in order for this Vipers team to win, Quinn Flowers has to start, mm-hmm. and he got bypassed for some reason we don't know why bypassed this week for the third string guy, and he did not play well at all either. He threw two interceptions, and it was just didn't look pretty. So, no. again, we go back to this Vipers team, and if they're going to win anything, they need to start Quentin Flowers. Oh, yeah. And, like, just looking at the stats, they have a good defense. They have some standout defensive players. You know, uh, Deontre's Mount, he's a defensive end. He's recorded seven total pressures from the edge, which is the second most in the NFL. Their defensive tackle, also former NFL fullback, Nikita Whitlock, he's second in the NFL with total pressures for interior defensive linemen. There's that safety, Marcellus Branch. He's tied for second in the XFO for with six run stops. And then cornerback uh, Anthola, I hope I'm saying that right, Kelly leads the NFL with, forced, with four forced incompletions. Also, the running back gang is doing really good, too. Davion Smith and uh, Jacquez Patrick, they combined for over 200 yards after contact this season, and there's only been two games. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, so, I mean, like, this Vipers team has a good squad. Yeah. They just need to figure out the quarterback position, and from what we've seen so far... Their first string in Aaron Murray and their third string guy, they are not the answers. So why not give Quentin Flowers his shot? I mean, I think he is the spark that that team needs. Yeah, and I think Mark Trestman is really making, honestly, a mistake by not starting him. And I don't know why he's not starting starting him because he really only throws him in there for, like, you know, like RPO type of stuff and read options. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know. I think that's a really big mistake. I think he needs to just – suck it up and make the decision. Because if not, this is going to be a really long season for yeah. the Vipers. Yeah, they need to give him his shot because I do think that he is the number one quarterback in Tampa Bay. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. But, you know, we'll see. Seattle, though, Brandon Silvers, he had some, uh, you know, he he wasn't great that the whole game, but he made some plays. Yeah. Or I, I should say Keenan Reynolds. Keenan Reynolds some plays. Yeah, that's what I was to touch on. That's the final yeah. thing I'll talk about this game real fast, Go too. Yeah. Because we talked about last week on the podcast that we were – Kind of disappointed in Keenan Reynolds that yeah. he did not have a better game for Seattle because we both were both fans of him and we wanted we wanted him to do good and he's a great player. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are happy to report that this this week he did have a much bigger game. Yeah, breakout game. Yeah, he caught um, he caught a sixty eight yard pass that was pretty cool for a uh, touchdown. Yeah, for a touchdown. Um, and here you go. He's was the most reliable receiver for sure. So Brandon Th- Silver's threw for threw for a total of ninety one passing yards. Okay. 87 of those were to Keenan Reynolds. There we go, yeah. <laughs> so basically the only other receiver that had a, a reception was, well, I mean, there was a bunch of receivers that had receptions, but they were all for negative yards, or the only other one was their tight end who caught a pass for 11 yards. So really Keenan Reynolds was the only one that could do anything for this offense. Yeah, at least in terms of, like, getting separation, mm-hmm. beating coverage and whatnot. Yeah. He looked good because Emmett, Admittedly, last week he looked very raw. He looked like it was the spotlight might have been a little bit too big for him, you know. Because granted, it was like the first XFL game ever, but you know this week he looked like he settled in. He got a bit better. That big play must have been a huge confidence booster because after that he snagged a really nice two-point conversion, which wasn't a great throw by Brandon Silvers, but he made him look good and caught it anyways. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's that's a bright side too. Keenan Reynolds might be someone to look out for. Hopefully, this isn't a you know a fluke though. Yeah, so we'll see. All right, should we move on? Yeah. Okay, we'll move on to the Sunday games. So the the first Sunday game was the Dallas Renegades 
yeah. at the Los Angeles Wildcats, and Dallas won 25-18. to 18. Yeah, so this one took a while to take off, too. These last two games, for sure, you probably could have watched, like, the last half of it and be satisfied with it because this game was just really slow. Yeah, so this game was just really slow, honestly. But it picked up in the second half. Uh, so we did see Dallas Renegade start, well, I won't say star quarterback, but starting quarterback yeah. Landry Jones both, come out and play. Both yeah. starting quarterbacks that did not play last week got the start this week. Yeah, and so the Wildcats had Josh Johnson. And it was, okay, so I really only watched the first half, and then I saw highlights of the second. But from what I saw in the first half, Josh Johnson was missing a lot of open post routes to Nelson Spruce, who had a great game, by the way, and then a number of other receivers. And they were wide open, but he was just not on the money. That doesn't mean, you know, but at the same time, Landry Jones, like, he wasn't playing great either because he just wasn't on top of it. Like, he even said it himself, he was playing terrible. And they, they both kind of just stunk it up for that whole first half. And even in the second half, they struggled to pick it up, I'd say. Like, it was definitely carried by a number of other people. Mm-hmm. So, I do think, though, Landry Jones, obviously he was, he's been injured for most of camp and the first weeks of practice here and, and the first week. I think he showed that after he knocks the rust off in a few weeks, I think he's going to be up there as like the top three quarterbacks with P.J. Walker. And Cardell Jones, I think he'd be the next best on that list. Right. Um, I think Landon Jones shows that he's going to be good in these next few weeks. Um, he just has to get back into it. But yeah. really what came down to it is just Cameron Artis Payne, who really won this game and put the Renegades on his back and carried them to victory, really. Very true. He had 98 rushing yards. And I want to say two touchdowns as well. But he had 130 total yep. uh, yards as he well. He had 34 receiving yards to add to his 98. Yes. yes, so it was pretty impressive, I'd say. I was impressed, to say the least, because Cameron Artis Payne was another guy who struggled uh, last week to get it going. And it, okay, I think we both said that it really wasn't his fault because they were just stacking the box, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, it helps having a guy back there that you know, you know, every now and then could uh, kill you deep, which you don't want to happen at all. So having Cameron Artis Payne out there, he, he played very well. He basically won the Renegades' game. He had two really nice touchdown runs to win the game, um, if I'm being honest, in the fourth quarter. So. Yep. And then I think the only other really notable thing here is, as Simon said a little earlier, Nelson Spruce had a big game. Yes. He uh, is the second week in a row. He has, a big, he has had a big game. He had six receptions for 89 yards and two receiving touchdowns, both of Johnson's passing touchdowns. Um, and he is currently, yeah, the leading receiver in the XFL, and that's not a surprise to me. I was definitely... <laughs> One, if you would have asked me at the beginning of the season, I said, yeah, Nelson Spruce will be one of the top receivers in the XFL. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It, it took a while, to be honest. Um, like I said, Josh Johnson was just off the mark for a lot of that game, and it was like maybe the fifth or sixth post route, and Nelson Spruce got open on, and he finally hit him. So <laughs> it's, it's good. Uh, it will be interesting to see where this Wildcats team goes next. I believe they're 0-2, aren't they? There, they have not won a game, but I do think with Joe Johnson the way he is now, um, again with Landry Jones the same way. Josh he, Johnson. Sorry, Josh Johnson. Yeah. Um, the same way as Landry Jones, I think 
he's going to knock off the rust, and he'll find that connection with Nelson Spruce and his other receivers, and he'll get that timing back down. And I think that they have nowhere to go but up as well. Yep, I believe that. This is a team, you know, the Wildcats. I feel I could believe in them more than the Vipers, if I'm being oh, honest. Oh, yeah, me too, for yeah. sure, 100%. Because yeah. they have a little bit more, you know, they have quality weapons all around. The defense is they, – they played pretty well, too, up until the end there, you know. It was just a war – like of attrition by that point, you know, they were just getting pounded into the ground. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it happens. But, yeah. yeah. Anyways, that was that game. Yeah. Took a while to get going, but it was really exciting at the end. Yeah. All right. So moving to the last game of the week. This was, if you recall, the game of the week for us, at least. Yes. Um, the St. Louis Battlehawks at the Houston Roughnecks. And it was a good game. Houston, Houston won by four, 28 to, tw- or sorry, Houston won 28 to 24, four point game. And it was, it was a good one. It was yeah. everything it lived up to be. That's very true. That's very true. So what stood out to you this game, Jesse? Um, I think, well, first of all, if we go back to last week, we did say that they game, this game got moved to primetime yeah. um, so that people could watch it on Sunday night, and it lived up to that, um, that hype. But I think it just comes down to, again, uh, the Roughnecks led by P.J. Walker. I think he is he's the best quarterback in the XFL right now, and I think – even though Jordan Te'amu did play very well and kept his team very close, I think just the fact that P.J. Walker and that Roughnecks defense um, over outplayed Seattle. Or St. Louis, sorry, St. Louis. Yeah, that's fair. And this is a talented Roughnecks team for sure. They're, bu- they're built very well on their front lines on offense and defense. So here's some stats to back that up. So... On the defensive line, Houston has pressured opposing quarterbacks. I mean, you know, through two weeks, on forty-one percent of uh, dropbacks, which is pretty much almost half the time, and that's uh, that's leading the XFL. No other front seven is doing as great as Houston is, and they've been killing it out there, stopping the run, getting after the quarterback, and they've been doing great. You know, and uh, as well. On the offensive line, they've been putting in work as well. Tackle Terry Poole and guard Avery. Uh, I want to say Genesee or Genesee, I don't know. But they have a, they're yet to have allowed a quarterback pressure, and they've you know pass blocked on a combined 166 times. So those two are putting in work. Those are two guys that you know might be NFL guys someday, to be honest. So PJ Walker has been great though. You know like it's I mean you know it's easy to not allow any pressure when he's getting the ball out very nice. You know rolling out, uh, making plays with his legs and whatnot. So. Yeah, but yeah, uh, back to Jordan Te'amu though. He has been, honestly, for a 22-year-old, he hasn't been that bad. No, I was going to say, yeah, I think the bright spot for the Battlehawks here is that Jordan Te'amu is playing above his expected, just like, ability. Like, when people come in, everyone was just like, okay, what's he going to do? And I think he's outperforming what people had predicted for him, which is great. And I think that going forward against the Seattle, or sorry, I always say Seattle, the St. Louis Battlehawks, um, they were a team that would, could be a dark horse, led by Jordan Te'amu. Um, I think that moving forward, they ran into, in my opinion, the best team in the XFL, yep. which is one, Houston. One of the best ones. Yeah, and played, played with them, played a good game with them. So I think moving forward that St. Louis has nothing to hang their heads about. Um, the game was in Houston, yep. so um, that gives them something. And to stick with a team like that, um, I think it's it's great, and I think moving forward, I think St. Louis will will get get some more wins, and I think they can be 
one of the contenders for the number one spot as well. Yeah, I believe so too. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. Jordan Tayamu was, uh, you know, doubted because he did have DK Metcalf. He had AJ Brown in college, but you know his st- his stats personally personally were not like awesome by any chance. He mm-hmm. looked pretty raw in general, and he still kind of looks raw, but accuracy wise. He's been pretty good. Uh, I think more so than not, it's just been decision-making. Because yeah. his completion percentage, it leads the XFL, and it's at 82%, which is insane. But he has thrown a couple picks. Pretty sure he's thrown a pick in every game so far. Well, there's two games. I think he's threw, he threw one in the first game and two in this game. So yeah. he's thrown three interceptions total. And I think that comes down to, again, what you said, just um, he's just still really young, and I think he needs yeah. to learn. What, what it is to play football? Yeah, to play at, at, at professional level. Yeah, at, at a higher level, I'd yeah. say. You know, like, like he could make the throws. I think we all know that by this point. And he could run a little bit too. He's pretty mobile, but he, yeah, he just needs to make some better decisions. You know, mm-hmm. he needs to, you know, work on that poise. At, at right now, he's only twenty-two. You yeah. know, poss- if I'm being honest, maybe another season in the XFL might help polish him off a little bit more, and then I'd say. No, he's definitely a good NFL backup or maybe a possible fringe starter Yep. if he stays one more season. He did have a rushing touchdown, so he was responsible for four touchdowns. Yeah. Um, just run through the quick stat stat line here. Matt Jones had another decent game. Nice. Um, he didn't run for 100 yards like he did last week, but he still got 50. Um, and then I think, again, we talked about P.J. Walker having a good game, but the big thing is here is Cam Phillips, the receiver for oh, yeah. the Houston Roughnecks. I don't know. He might have been the one that was vomiting last week, um, but I'm not 100% sure. I thought that was this week. No, that was the first week of the season that he vomited. But I think it's him. But he got all that out anyways, and he had eight receptions for 63 yards and three touchdowns. So he led led the uh, XFL this week in receiving touchdowns with three. Um, So that was a big big contribution for the Roughnecks win. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, so... It's uh, time to do our players of the week. We got offense and defense. Um, all right, so, I mean, I'll go first. For my, for my XFL Offensive Player of the Week, I got to give it to Cameron Artis-Payne. You know, I was really close to giving it to Cardale Jones and P.J. Walker, if I'm being honest. Um, but I feel like, I mean, they're all winning players. They're on the winning teams. But I feel like Cameron Artis-Payne, you know, if he was not on that Renegade squad, I don't think they beat the Wildcats because he scored those last two touchdowns, had some really nice first downs that moved the chains. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that's my Offensive Player of the Week. All right, I am also going to give my Offensive Player of the Week to Cameron Artis Payne of the Dallas Renegades as well. Yep. Um, yeah, like you said, I think he was the most valuable player of this week. Without him, I do not think the Dallas Renegades win. Um, and overall for, I mean, as we talked about in last week, the XFL – didn't look like a running, a running league. It was, looked like not. a pass-heavy league, and to have almost 100 yards rushing in this league and two touchdowns is big time. So I think Cameron Artis Payne gets my my offensive player of the week as well. But I do have some honorable mentions. Go for it. Um, we talked about Cam Phillips mm-hmm. and Nelson Spruce. Yep. The two receivers that um, had great weeks. And then P.J. Walker, I think. I think P.J. Walker and Jordan Tam, we should also get get some recognition because they both did have good days as well. Yeah, fair so enough. That are my, those are my little mentions. Oh, yeah, that's fair. See, hey, if Nelson Spruce, if his team could win a game, then I might be able to give it to him because I really want to. 
but it's hard for me to give player of the week out to the, to somebody who's on a losing yeah. team. Yeah, and I think I so. think this LA team will win due to the fact that Nelson Spruce is a big game. So we'll, I th- I'm sure we'll get to give Nelson Spruce one yeah, sometime this eventually. year. Eventually. But I will agree with you that this week it goes to Cameron Irish Payne. All right. So who's your defensive player of the week? My defensive player of the week. I know we mentioned him a little earlier um, on that Tampa Bay defense that is is pretty good. Yeah. But um, I'm going to give it to Marcellus Branch, okay. the safety for the Tampa Bay Vipers. Vipers. Yep. Um, he had 12 total tackles, which is the most we've seen in a single game so mm-hmm. far in the XFL, including a sack. Um, so... He definitely had a big game, especially from the safety position. Right. Um, he came up and he stopped the run for for Seattle. Yeah. Um, he really was the main reason against Seattle. You mean? Yeah. He okay. was. He was. Yeah. That's why Seattle didn't have as big of a running game. Um, and Seattle has some good some good running backs. You yeah. Know? For sure, no doubt. Um, they have Kenneth Farrell, who's who has been playing well, and then what's his name from Texas A&M, Williams. Oh my, Trey Williams. Trey, yeah, Trey Williams from Texas A&M. So like, yeah. there's two elite running backs for the XFL, and I think the reason that he held them both with under 40 yards was because of him. That defense was because of because of him. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm gonna give him my defensive player of the week. I like that. I'll go on the other side of the ball. Uh, I'm giving it to Marcel Frazier uh, for the Seattle Dragons. I thought he played pretty well. Just in general, you know, filling his gaps, stopping the run. He also got an interception for a touchdown. I think that was the play that really, like, turned this game around. Like, the Keenan Reynolds touchdown was really nice, too. Keenan Reynolds was somebody I was considering for Offensive Player of the Week, too. But uh, I think this was a big time. You know, it got the crowd going. He, you know, it looked like he was about to bat it down, but instead he just jumped up there, grabbed it out of the air, and then ran it in for the touchdown. And it wasn't like a long run or anything, but he still made it in. And I think that was really key to Seattle winning that game, too. I would agree. the so, Vipers yeah. were trailing, for sure. So I definitely think that that deserved it as well. For sure. Yeah. All right. So going into this next week, yeah. uh, what give do we us, got? Give us our previews. Um, so the first week, first game of the week, we have the Houston Roughnecks at the Tampa Bay Vipers. Ooh. So okay. this will be Houston's first game away. Their okay. first away game. But they are lucky getting the Tampa Bay Vipers as their first away game. This is also Tampa Bay's first home game. So oh, we'll God. see how it goes. But I even if they play Quentin Flowers, I don't think Tampa Bay even had a chance, to no, be honest. I think P.J. Walker <laughs> might have a field day. What sucks is that like <clears throat> uh, most of these stadiums have sold out you know, for their first game. I don't think Tampa Bay is going to do that. I don't either. To be honest. Because they are playing at Raymond James Stadium, which is... The, the Buccaneers Stadium. Yeah. And you're right. I do not think that they will sell out just because of how poor this team has been playing. Yeah. And so that, that hurts them more than anything. Yeah. So we'll See, keep I, an eye I on that. I definitely do think P.J. Walker has a big day. Yeah. I um, think the Roughnecks go through you know here. Yes. I, so. I agree. I'll pick the Houston Roughnecks as well. Okay. All right. Then, so then the afternoon game on Saturday the 22nd okay. is the Dallas Renegades at oh, the nice. Seattle Dragons. Oh, so this okay. could be a good game. <clears throat> yeah, I think this is. I don't know about evenly matched. Well, no, I think they're they're pretty evenly matched up to the, this point, you know, based on how Landry Jones has been playing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so what what are you thinking, Jesse? I am going to pick the Dallas Renegades to win because I think Landry Jones gets his second game um, in the XFL playing, and I think that he has um, even. I mean, he threw for three hundred yards last week. Yeah. Um, but I think he have he has even a bigger game. 
this week against Seattle in Seattle, and I think Dallas wins because Ooh, in Seattle. Yeah, because of Landry Jones. I think Landry Jones will have a good game. Okay, um, that's interesting. I think I'll. Brandon Silvers hasn't played great, which yeah. is I think he's the one holding this team back. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna give it to the Renegades. I just think it's gonna be very close. Like I would not be surprised if Seattle. I know they're playing at home, so it's not really stealing. But I could see Seattle, uh, honestly, possibly edging the Renegades out and winning this game. But I'll go with the Renegades. I'm a biased Renegades fan, <laughs> so we'll go with that for now. I'm feeling good about that. Yeah, so, yeah. I am as well. All right, and then moving into the Sunday games. Uh, which is the 23rd. Mm-hmm. The early game is the New York Guardians at the St. Louis Battlehawks. Okay. This is St. Louis's first home game. Ooh, nice. And I do think that they will sell out their tickets, yes. unlike Tampa Bay. Oh, yeah. No, there's no doubt. I think people in St. Louis are excited to have a team again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, St. Louis has showed a lot of promise. You know, they're 1-1 one one right now, but yeah. they've showed a lot of promise after playing those two Texas yeah, teams. Yeah, and I, think, I do think that... The people of St. Louis want to see Jordan Tayamu play. Like he is, oh, yeah. for as much as we talked about how his decision making is questionable and he's young, he's really exciting to watch. Yeah. So he he will make plays happen. <laughs> I would say he's a kind of a interesting comparison that I just thought of right now. Okay. But the if you're comparing quarterbacks in the XFL and the NFL, I would say mobility wise and throws on the run and stuff and everything like this. He's basically, I would compare him to Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, he's not going to win Ooh, like Patrick Mahomes, but his mechanics look kind of the same. That's fair. Uh, I was going to say, he kind of gives me a little bit more of a younger Colin Kaepernick vibe. Yeah, I can see that too. Like, you know, he can run a bit. He has a pretty strong arm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fairly accurate most of the time. Um, it's just, you know, it's on him though if he plays well or not because yep. this decision making. So, I, that. yep. So I think St. Louis goes home and gets their gets their first home win. I think they they beat the Guardians because I think Jordan Tamil will just continue to play like he is. I think Mac Jones will have a good game. Uh huh. But I think it comes down to the fact that Matt McGloin will start and will not play well. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, this could definitely be a game though where the Guardians steal one in St. Louis. It depends how well uh, McGloin plays, if he bounces back or not. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that one. I think that there's go there's a lot of closer games. Like I think this is a good matchup for St. Louis, but you you never know. I for all I know, Jordan Tiamu could have a terrible game. You never know. Yep. So we'll we'll see. But I'll, I'll pick the Battle Hawks too. All right, and that brings us to our last game of Week Three in okay. the XFL season. The thirty percent over already. So regular season. Oh. But anyways, you have the DC Defenders at the LA Wildcats. Interesting. This is LA's no second home game. They played at home yeah. last week. But this will be DC's first road game. Okay. So we'll see how this goes. Okay. Um, but I'm still gonna pick Cardell Jones and the DC Defenders to win. I think this is gonna be again. This is a. I would say this is probably the game of the week. Yeah. For me, um, because. Josh Johnson and Nelson Spruce could have a big, a big bounce back game, uh-huh. and they could finally get their first win. But if DC and Cardell Jones play plays well, I think again, I think DC will take take the dub. But yeah, it's going to be a very close game. It's going to be a good game. Fair enough. I, I'm gonna have to go with the hot hand and the DC defenders. I, there's no doubt that the Wildcats will take some time to put it together, but. I you know the defenders seem to already have it together. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so I think they might have the slight edge here. I would not be surprised if the Wildcats, you know, like I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I think the Wildcats will put up a fight. You know, they'll do their best to put up points and whatnot. But I don't know if they're quite there yet. Like if they're quite as in sync as they want to be. So I'll, I'll have to go with the defenders for now. Me too. Yeah. And that is week three of the XFL. Pretty yep. And we'll come back uh, next week with more of this. But coming up next, we're going to talk about the NFL. This time, uh, we're going to preview the NFC West with Cody Stauffer. Yeah, Cody Stauffer will be joining us for this next thing. And we are going to continue our just recap of the NFL season conference by conference or division by division. We did AFC, the AFC West last week, NFC West this week. Yep. Oh, I'm introducing the segment. Yes, you have to introduce Cody, yourself. Welcome, to welcome to the podcast for this week. Thanks. I'm Cody Stoffer, and on this segment, we're going to be talking about the NFC West, kind of a recap of the teams not named the 49ers this season, and did that. what they got to do in the offseason. Yep. So we're going to start with Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Breaking news. As of two hours ago, Greg Olson signed a one-year deal to play tight end with the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Let's go XFL announcer, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yes. He's kind of killing it over there, but mm-hmm. he, has, he has some game left in him so still. So let's, let's start with our, our raw reactions about Greg Olson signing there. I think, I personally think that's one of the things they needed to address was tight end, and they did it. <laughs> yeah, that's a scary offense now because DK Metcalf will be in year two and we saw him get better as each week went on yes Tyler Lockett is a great wide receiver as well always he's he's really fast Mm -hmm. and then now you have Olsen to eat up the middle of the field yeah and you just you can't defend all three Mm -hmm. nope let's be honest um I would say Russell Wilson was the runner-up for MVP this year um so to add Greg Olsen another Probably Hall of Fame tight end um, weapon to Russell Wilson is going to be immensely like helpful for them. Yeah, this is assuming Greg Olson comes, uh, you know, comes in healthy, and I think he will. You know, he <laughs> he's going to have an extra long off season because you know he didn't play in the playoffs, and you know, I think that's good for him, and he should come to Seattle fresh. I'm also looking at Chris Carson and Rashad Penny who are going to be coming back. Uh, eventually from their injuries. So at this point, we're really just looking at the Seattle offensive line. Exactly. Which right. has always been a problem. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what I was going to say. This is a pretty deep offensive lineman free agent class. Yes. yes. So I think that's, that's we all can agree that that's the number one move that they need to make in order to make this team better is find offensive linemen. Yep. Whether they need a draft or sign in, like, you just need upgrades at this point. Like you get rid of whoever's there because they're obviously not working out. And then you gotta build on, you know, you gotta build that offensive line. You need to protect Russell Wilson. You know, he's definitely been taking a ton of hits. You know, there's no doubt about that. And then you gotta, you know, this is Seattle's window right now. You know, Russell Wilson's in his prime. You have two really young receivers. You have a great veteran. You have two solid running backs who I'm assuming are going to come off of injury uh, pretty well, yep. you know. And you know, this defense isn't terrible. <laughs> You're right. I think on the defensive side, I do think first of all, Jadavian Clowney is a free agent. 
Yeah. They traded for him in the season. I think he will re-sign there, but I think if they want to make a run at the Super Bowl, they need to re-sign Jadavian Clowney yeah. to play end next year. He's the best player on their defense. Yeah. What about Bobby Wagner? I, I was going to say not named Bobby Wagner. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm going to say I think going into this free agency class, I think Jadavian Clowney might be one of the top three free agents in this class, and they need to re-sign him to be yeah. competitive. They probably should have re-signed him already. Yes. Yeah, it's a little concerning that they haven't resigned yeah, him yet. Yeah, because once he sees what he can get on the open market, yes. they might not get him. Yeah, and he's he's a good player. There's no doubt about that. Bobby Wagner needs help out there. You know He does. And this isn't a bad defense or anything. They just, you know, they're young. They have some pieces on the defensive line. You know, Shaquille Griffin's not a bad corner to have out there. Mm-hmm. Um, your safeties, oh my gosh, I'm like blanking out on who they are. I know one of them is Tedrick Thompson, and yeah. he's okay. You know, from CU, their their defense is good enough to compete for a Super Bowl with the offense. With Jadavian Clowney, with Jadavian Clowney, they they need Jadavian Clowney to resign. Otherwise, they are not. Well, is Ezekiel Ansah also a free agent? Uh, I do not think he is. I think he is still there. So, I mean, they have a a good defense. I think. Yeah, I think we we hit on it that the most glaring need for this Seattle team, if they want to make the Super Bowl, is. Offensive line. line. It's been that way for like <laughs> ten years. Yeah. yeah, but I think to I mean this season more than any is going to be big for them because you know like I said this window is wide open. You got weapons everywhere on the offense. You know you could lose a couple guys and still be okay because Russell Wilson himself is a weapon too. Mm-hmm. And this defense, you know, you got a great probably at this point the best line middle linebacker in the league in Bobby Wagner you know cuz Luke Kuechly's not around anymore yeah. and you know you got to take advantage of his years cuz you know we like I said I just mentioned Luke Kuechly you got to wonder how many more years Bobby Wagner has left in him realistically you know and then you know Jadavian Clowney got to get him back Shaquille Griffin he's already there uh, if you can you know, boost the defense, add a couple more, you know, young guys in there that could fill in the spots, learn the defense, be, you know, contribute to it and whatnot. But I think this is a Seattle team that might be poised to win the NFC West next year, at least. I would agree. They definitely could. Yeah. I think to address the defense side of the ball, I think what could be beneficial, it depends upon which direction you want to go in the first round of the draft, which I would probably go offensive line, but if they want to pass on offensive line, a guy like Grant Delpit will be there oh, when they pick, yeah. and that could be a massive signing for this team. It would basically be, what, Earl Thomas 2.0. Yeah, but a so, little bit better. Yeah, so I mean, like... I definitely think they should go on the defensive side of the ball just yeah. because they need defense. There's defensive players that are plug-and-play, especially because they're near the back of the first round, too. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. they're, they're in a prime position to get a guy who they can start from day one. And yeah. contribute. I did to look the at yeah. I did look at some mock drafts earlier this week and they had Grant Delpit going at thirty at thirty two, so the last pick like of the that. first round. So he would be there yeah, for the Seahawks. And I think yeah, I think you could sign a guy sign an offensive lineman from free agency and then draft a guy like Grant Delpit and I would agree with Simon in that if they did that, I think they can definitely win this division. Yeah. I like it. I I really do like it. Uh, like I said, it's their time. It's up to them to win. Because we already talked about the Niners. I don't think they're going to be as good as they were this year. I think they might actually take a step back, if I'm being honest. So we'll just yeah. keep an eye on that. But, any, all other, right. any other thoughts on Seattle? 
Not really. All right, shall we move on to the L.A. Rams? Okay. The Rams. This is a Rams. Okay, we we <laughs> laugh, be- but it's weird to think just two years ago that they won. They were they in were in the, the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, I think out of the last ten teams to lose in the Super Bowl, they're one of two that didn't make it back to the playoffs, which is saying a lot because it's hard to lose a Super Bowl and then do it all over again and you know get back into the playoffs. But the Rams is. You know, they're one of two teams to do that. Yeah. And they really didn't lose anybody either. So, let's... Okay. So, let's let's talk about this season. It was a disappointing season. I think, you know, they're in the hunt to make the playoffs for a really long time. But probably around week 11 or 12, people kind of just wrote them off. Including yeah. us. Right? Because uh, we saw teams like Seattle, uh, the Packers, the Vikings, you know... Even some of these NFC East teams who really didn't deserve to be in there, but they're there anyways, you know. And this Rams team honestly just didn't. They look. They still look shell shocked from last season. Yeah, I think yeah. that for the Rams, it's official. Like that, they're stuck with the contract that they gave to Todd Gurley. Yeah. But I feel like Todd Gurley's officially done, and I would agree. Running back would be a position to address in the draft. Yeah. Or free agency. Yeah. I also think talking about contracts that they're stuck with, in that Marcus Peters trade, they gave away what, the next two first round picks, so they're stuck with yeah. Jared Goff for the next few years as well. Yeah. So I think I think the success of that team also depends upon Jared Goff, really. Yeah, they put themselves in a bad spot, if I'm being honest. Like I know Jalen Ramsey's a great corner. He's better than Marcus Peters and he's gonna be there for a while. But I don't know. I'm concerned about Jared Goff. I'm concerned about Todd Gurley. I think Todd Gurley will probably get traded or cut sometime this offseason. I think his time in L.A. is over. Mm-hmm. So I think... So. Okay, well, they still have some decent receivers. So, I mean... Yeah, Cooper Cup and shoot, Robert, Robert Woods, Woods are still pretty good. Yeah, so I think they still have good weapons. And the, what, it's uh, Tyler Higbee yeah. is their tight end. Gerald Everett, too. And Gerald Everett. So I think they still have some good weapons on the outside for receiving. So I don't think they need to address that. I think receiver is is a – or sorry, not receiving. Running back is a glaring need for this team. Because what, what, Malcolm Brown, is that that their starter, quote-unquote starter right now? Starter backup. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Um, and he fumbled a lot last season. Especially in, like, limited time, too. Mm -hmm. They Um, also need to worry about the fact that Whitworth is – a free agent as well. Yeah. Um, um, even if they re-signed him, he might have maybe one solid yeah, season so left. Yeah, so offensive line would be a need for for the Rams. Been a need, yeah. So I think they need to address the offense over the defense. I mean, the defense, they still have some, they still have some key pieces on defense. Wade Phillips is out as the defensive coordinator, though. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I don't no, know about that. Yeah, I don't... I feel like they're, they're trying to show, like... They, they tried to put the blame on like their losses on the defense when really it was just Jared Goff being like irresponsible with the ball. And you know, honestly, based off of like this year and how much like his draft stock changed, I might see a good pick for the Rams might be to get from Jake in, Brown? A, in a late round. Possibly. I feel like that's an that's a potential upgrade <coughs> over Goff. Yeah, so at least in like pure arm strength and you know, if Honestly, if Jared Goff can take the Rams to the Super Bowl, 
in like this system, I feel like it's a quarterback friendly system with all the play action and stuff. I feel like Fromm would also mm-hmm. succeed, and they could afford to take him with a later pick. Well, I will. Yeah, I will throw into the mix that looking at those mock drafts, as I said this week, they do have Jake Fromm rising a little bit more than they had. So I'm guessing he's going to go middle to late second round. Yeah. Um, so it's not going to be a quote unquote late round pick from the Rams if they want Jake Fromm. Because Jake Fromm is still going to get drafted by a team in the second round, most likely, and compete for a starting job wherever he goes. I agree. Um, he, I mean, I don't know. It wouldn't be the worst idea. I think him and Goff at this point are both the same. I think Goff is a lot like Jimmy Garoppolo, which, you know, he's a middle-tier guy. Like, he's all right. You know, he could probably get it done for you, but, you know, we'll see. We'll so, see. I... I don't know. The Rams are in kind of a weird spot. On defense, I think they'll be fine. If you have Aaron Donald, the best defensive lineman in the league, and then Jalen Ramsey, probably the best DB in the league, you should probably be okay, On defense, you know, if yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah, you could live off of having those two and then just, you know, just plugging in everyone else around. The offense is the thing I'm worried about because that's Sean McVay's, like, you know, bread and butter right there. You know, if yeah. he doesn't have a good offense, then – this isn't a good Rams and, team. And his his offense that we've seen so far revolves around a good running game. Yeah. And between their lack of offensive line and their lack of consistent running back play, they don't have an identity right now. Mm-hmm. No, because I don't think Jared Goff is that guy. If he takes another step forward and is that guy, great. You know, but he's just going to be another Russell Wilson without a running back in line too, though. Minus the running ability. So yeah, I was about to say, Jared Goff isn't good enough to carry an offense like yeah. that. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying if he takes a step forward. Yeah. You know, like a Joe Burrow type step forward. I feel like that's like two or three steps forward, honestly. Yeah, for, so a Joe Burrow step, step forward. Because Joe Burrow wasn't that great last year before uh, before he picked well, it up this by year. time. Yeah. All right, my last thing for the Rams. I think... I mean, I don't have 100% faith in Jared Goff, but I do think Jared Goff can lead that offense next year. Um, and I think if they can find a running game, because as we, you guys just said, that is the key for the Sean Sh- uh, McVay offense. I think they can compete for a wild card position with Jared Goff at quarterback if they can get a running back. So to end it, Cody, give me one running back in your mind that you think that it would benefit them, whether it's in the draft or free agency, and the same with you, Simon, and I then I will also say one. Okay. Would you like me to go first? I you guys can think for a second. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think a big turnaround for the for this team would be if they took Travis Etienne in the first round from Clemson. I think he's not going in this draft. He said to stay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he did (laughs) say. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll give another guy just like it is J.K. Dobbins. Oh, because he is just a a well-rounded. He's he could he has the same play style as Todd Gurley, just smaller than Todd Todd Gurley. Sure. But I think. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, which is a big part of their offense, and he can run the ball very well. So I'm going to say a J.K. Dobbins kind of guy. Okay. I'd say that a guy that they could definitely get in free agency on the cheap, too, because I know that they have to deal with some salary cap issues, is Melvin Gordon. That's what I was going to say. Because he's not going to re-sign with the Chargers. The Chargers are in destruct mode right now. And we've seen that Melvin Gordon with, like, enough volume. I feel like Melvin Gordon will remind people just how good he is. Because he came in at a weird point in the season last year, but if he starts from day one and he gets used to the system, he too can catch out of the backfield. Yes. And I feel like he would be able to give 
Jared Goff and the Rams offense some stability because he has shown that he can do 20 to 30 carries a game. Let's be honest. Last year he showed that he can carry a team because Phil Rivers didn't do much. So, I mean, like, he carried that team to however many wins they had, what, like six or something. But without yeah. him, they would have won two. So. And it, even if you asked a couple of years ago, you know, Melvin Gordon is one of those running backs where, like, if you had, like, third and two on the goal line and you needed a touchdown, he could get it. give it to him twice in a row. Yeah. Yeah. He would get the touchdown one of those two times. So yeah. that would be a great signing for the Rams that would be efficient as well. I would agree. That's a good Interesting. one. All right. Um, so person I have will be somebody that I know for a fact is on the trade block, you know, from what I've heard at least. And I, I don't know about how realistic it could be, but I would really think that this would be a great fit. It would probably help both teams. Uh, the Rams would have to give up, you know, quite a bit, you know. But I think this player is someone who you should give up quite a bit because he could bring your team back to, you know, back to where they were when they made the Super Bowl. So I'm thinking David Johnson from the Arizona yes, Cardinals. that's also a good one because yeah. Kenyon Drake has won that starting job yes. in Arizona. We're going to talk about Arizona in a second. Yeah, and so yeah. that's a great segue. But I think David Johnson, his um, – his value right now is really low. <laughs> you know, in the time he did play, he played all right. You know, he he had some receiving touchdowns, some nice runs and whatnot. But he, for the most part, he struggled. But David Johnson, I think behind, you know, well, I'm not going to say this LA Rams offensive line, but I think David Johnson put with, uh, you know, Jared Goff, Sean McVay, he could be a, he could do a lot of the things Todd Gurley did for them. I feel like he could be an MVP candidate. Yes. Similar yeah. to what what you said with Gurley, because Gurley was an MVP candidate. Oh yeah. Just a couple years yeah. ago, and David Johnson, I feel like he could thrive in that system. Yeah, I, I think he fits this this uh, Rams system a lot better than Kingsbury's system. Too. Do the Rams have the assets? Do you think to acquire David Johnson? I don't. Do I they have any first round picks left? No, no this, I would not, not give year. a first and round pick for David. No, no, but I'm saying like next year. they'd be giving up. Would you be willing to give up your first four picks? Because if you don't have first this year, next year, and the Cardinals would probably want a second, maybe two second rounders for David Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think, like I said, his value is pretty low at this point. I think at best, if I'm the Rams, I would give them a second, third, and fourth. If the, that might be even stretching it a little I, bit, I, I might say a second and a fourth. To, yeah, be able to get around, yeah. get away with a second and a fifth. Yeah, I try that first. Yeah, so something like that, you know, uh, two picks for sure. No, uh, early, a relatively early one, and then a mid to late round pick. You know, because or you know, for all I know, the Cardinals aren't getting any calls on David Johnson, and they just need to let him go so they could dump that salary. Yeah, and so you know, maybe a fourth or fifth would work, or a fourth and a sixth. So do we want to talk about the Cardinals offseason as if they have two extra picks right now? or So let, <laughs> we'll do both. Let's review their season first mm-hmm. and how it went. So here, I'll, I'll take the lead on this one. Yeah, your boy. Yeah, or you Kyler. Know, whatever. <laughs> Kyler Murray, he did not have a bad uh, rookie season at all. He did not. You know, he won. Wait, did he win yeah, he offense? Won, yeah, he won offense rookie year. Yeah. He played yeah. more games than Josh Jacobs. So There you go. Yep. Uh, I mean... I've seen it forever. <laughs> I've at this point. How old am I? Twenty-one. <laughs> he just punched the Whoops. computer. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't mean to punch the computer. Well, whatever. Well, it's out of frustration because at this point, I've almost. I think this next season. Or hold up. How old am I? 
I'm 21. 21. So this next, either this next season or in two years, it'll mark officially like I've been watching Kyler Murray for almost 10 years. Straight. And that Jesus. sounds weird when you say it out loud. Yeah, like I've been watching this dude for almost a decade, from middle school to high school to college to, to the pros. Um, and I'm not surprised that he played well. You know, he didn't have a line, and everyone knew it. So he was getting hit a lot. But, you know, to give you know to give him credit, he really never takes, you know, bad, clean shots. You know, it's really only been the NFL where he's taken, you know, Real clean, tough shots, if I'm being honest, because he's always been an elusive guy. You know, he kind of just has a great feel. And, you know, he has, he's, I mean, everyone knows how athletic he is, but I think people forget that this dude basically ran a 4 4 when he was the most out of shape. And then at his pro day, he basically ran a 4 3 flat. And he's someone who could go from 0 to 100 real quick, too. And, you know, the arm strength there, his mechanics are perfect and whatnot, his accuracy is always there. I mean, even with bad receivers, he made them look good at times, right? And honestly, he played way Don't better than Josh. Don't disrespect Larry Legend like that. What? Okay. Larry Fitzgerald is going to play another year he's, because of he's Kyler He's old, Murray. but don't disrespect him. No, okay. He's good. But I'm talking about everyone else. I said at times. Yeah, what's... Uh, Christian Kirk Christian didn't Kirk. play well. Yeah. He took... He, that was a bad regression, and I think the Cardinals should be alarmed at this point. At his progression right now. Yes, because he was coming out of Texas A&M. He was supposed to be one of the top receivers of that draft class. Mm -hmm. And it is alarming that he is not doing anything. He fell off a cliff. He couldn't stay healthy. He couldn't come down with contested passes. And honestly, like, the Cardinals don't have any weapons on offense currently. Not at all. Not well, yet. Besides, we'll talk about it in a second, but besides Kenyon Drake, which was an amazing trade in the middle of the season. Yeah, I thought that was a great trade yes. at the time. And at the time, it was like, okay, he got, Kenyon Drake's going there. But then when he played in the first three games, you're like, wow, that was the move to do. Because Kenyon Drake went from being, oh yeah, he's just a, a running back in the NFL. He's just a Dolphins for, player. Yeah, that, yeah, that played for Alabama. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Into... Wow, he could be one of the top ten running backs next year. One healthy. Yes. Which is a big thing with Kenyon Drake. Which I agree. I think another receiver to look out for, though, because he was really robbed. This was his rookie year. You know, out of UMass, uh, Andy Isabella. He had flashes of speed. Like, there are times where, like, Kyler Murray would find him on a crossing route, and he'd take it, like, 60, 70 yards to a house. A couple, it happened a handful of times. And so I'm really looking forward to Andy Isabella taking that step forward. You know, obviously, we all knew he was raw. He was a fast guy out of UMass. But, you know, I think you feed this guy the ball more and y'all, it will be okay. You know, mm-hmm. get him, let, let him learn Kingsbury's system because it's hard. There's a ton of different routes and he's moving inside and outside and inside and outside. So there's a lot of things that you could do. But uh, give him one more year. I think he's someone who could potentially be a breakout uh, candidate. I will, being honest. Yeah, I will agree that I think. He fits absolutely perfectly in the Cliffs Kingsbury offense. Like that's the kind of receiver you needed there. Yep. So, what are our opinions of Cliff Kingsbury after year one? I mean, I, f- I feel like he did pretty good for a team pretty devoid of talent. Yeah. I mean, literally the players on that team who are noteworthy to, in comparison to like the rest of the league are like Kyler Murray yep. and Chandler Jones. Yep. Patrick Peterson isn't who he used to be. No. I feel like he's washed and his career's probably done in I, Arizona. Well, uh, 
in Arizona or altogether? In Arizona. Okay. Because I think he I can like go he somewhere could, else. And he could be like a safety probably Yeah. somewhere else and play fine. But he's, just, he's not who he used to be. You know, he can't – he doesn't lock up number one receivers anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not like that. He could probably lock up number three or two receivers though, potentially. Depends yeah. the receiver. I think a great fit for Patrick Peterson would go to Seattle. Yeah. We just talked about Seattle. I think he could fit there as a, the number two corner. Or, or as a safety. Corner or, safety. or as a safety, yeah. Or he could come to Pittsburgh. Everyone can Old Pittsburgh. cornerback you. Yeah. What if, what if, he could what if, team up with Joe Hayden. What if every single player in the NFL went to Pittsburgh? I know. Yeah, they might go eight and eight again. I gotta say it, cause y'all y'all never want anybody, so I yeah, I'd take Patrick Peterson still. There's a lot of teams that would take Patrick Peterson still. Yeah. Do you think that the Cardinals should trade him? Try and get some draft stock. Yes. I think how, much, just, how many more years does he have, though? Because that's say, I want to say two max. Okay, because I feel like he doesn't have a lot left yeah. on that contract. Mm-hmm. So, but I think two. all right. Moving into now, what the Cardinals need to do in the off season because okay. we talked about their they had Cliff Kingsbury did a good job for the team he had. I think they showed that they can compete next year. Um, probably not even for a wild card, but they're still going to compete. Um, they might be able to. Hey, wait! Push who the said Rams? that the Cardinals were going to make the playoffs? I said, did. I said they might make it into the wild card just because of Kyler Murray. Yeah, I didn't say that. <laughs> I just I knew somebody said that, and I wanted I wanted you to step forth. <laughs> <laughs> but the only reason I said was because of Kyler Murray, and we were that was when we were on the Kyler Murray train, and everyone was hyped about it. So I said, all right, well, we'll, we'll give him a chance. <laughs> And he didn't play, like I said, no, he didn't play that. Kyler Murray's not the problem with the Cardinals. No, definitely. The other 21 positions are. Neither is. Well, 20 positions. Going to be honest, neither is Cliff Kingsbury. I think he is fine. I think he should stay there and give give him at least (laughs) two or three more years to give him a shot. Yeah. This is a team that he's going to have to build. Uh, Kenyon Drake isn't the problem either, by the way. Or Chandler Jones. Okay. So. 19. 19. 19. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And that's not bad. I mean, because they're like the receiving core, I think, I guess if they want to, they can add somebody, but I Don't. think there are glaring they problems need, everywhere else. They need to add a receiver if they want to compete. They need to. Dude, I'd say they they need to get an offensive lineman for sure. They need they need pretty much everything. To be honest. They need yeah. everything. This Cardinals team, okay, if they try and like hold on and compete in the <laughs> NFC West, like right now, they're gonna fail. Yes. But yeah. if they treat this like a true rebuilding, and they yes. do it right, and they don't rush it, yeah. Like I don't think they should sign anyone, any offensive lineman in free agency. Uh, no, no, they should not. They should draft. They should. They draft should draft. Offensive draft. I was thinking only- Brandon Scherf would be perfect in Arizona. He would. And then you add a left tackle like the guy from Georgia with your first round pick. As long as you're staying you're young at the offensive line, yeah, that's yeah. the way to go. Well, Scherf is still young. Yeah, that's why. That's yeah. I, did, I forgot about Scherf. Yeah. Scherf or Conklin yeah, so would be you, yeah. good free agent signings. But if they yeah. sign some old head, no, like no, no, Jason no. Peters or something, that would be so stupid. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I agree. They gotta go with the young wave for sure. Uh, but offensive line, I think if mm-hmm. they just literally get two good offensive linemen to help out their run game. And protect Kyler Murray a little bit more. Give him like maybe a half second more, then they'll be okay. You know, yeah. but they could definitely take like a center in like a later round too. Yes. So there you go. That's that's already solid. And pick. we will say that they do have, like Cody said, they do have they do have the assets to become a 
quote unquote rebuilding team. Yeah. They can trade away Peterson. Peterson and David Johnson, and they could probably for that haul they could get four or five draft picks. They could yeah. probably also I know that we just said that he was one of the key pieces as to why like one of the bright spots, but probably trading Chandler Jones wouldn't be a bad idea. He is getting he's old. <laughs> getting older and you could get a first round if you trade Chandler Jones to a contending team, yeah. you, you could get a first round pick, pick out. Yeah. Yep. And see, trade him perfect. back to New England for a first round pick. Yeah. Don't Ooh. give the Patriots a first round pick. See, I, it's I, a win-win. I like that though, because then, like, because the way I see it, I like the idea of them signing Brandon Scherf. You know, I think he would like to play in Kingsbury's, uh, you know, offense. That'd be kind of fun for him, right? Give him a little bit of a challenge. But get Brandon Scherf with your first first-round pick. Grab one of the offensive tackles. It really doesn't matter. Just grab one of them in the first round. Yeah. And then with, you know, assuming you have an extra first-round pick there. You could either go for a receiver, which there will be a receiver available because there's a billion of them. Yeah. Or you could literally get anybody else on defense and you'll be okay. Yeah, there's a lot of good receivers. This is a very yeah. deep receiver class. Yeah. I say I say trade away Peterson, trade away Johnson, trade away Chandler Jones, and get an extra draft's worth of picks, yes. honestly. Out of trading those three players, they could probably get another first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Probably second another second-round pick. Maybe two second-round picks. Mm-hmm. And then, like... A fourth, fifth, sixth. That gives them, oh, yeah. that would give if that worked out, that would give them in the first two rounds five picks. And in this year's draft, that would be massive because it is oh, a yeah. deep draft. And they yeah. need it too. Yeah. Yeah. Kyler Murray, I mean like like I said, it's time to build around him. You know, he's not the problem at all. I think a lot of people are expecting a really big jump out of him too, like a Lamar Jackson type of jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not as much rushing wise, but like passing wise, he could be so much more dangerous. You know, he already has, I'll, I'll tell y'all right now, he already has a year under his belt, and that's all he needs. Yeah. Because right now he's about, like, he, he's already kind of, like, I know how he works. Like, at this point, he's already pretty much figured out most NFL defenses. And next year, with, you know, assuming everyone progresses with him, he, they're going to they're gonna compete. Mm-hmm. You know, they could definitely push the 49ers, in my opinion, possibly, because they'll be... That's more of a mental thing. And then with the Rams, with the way they're looking right now, yeah. they're in a weird limbo spot. They could they can potentially knock them out. Because yep. the Cardinals have this young thing going with them, which is actually working. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so as long as they stay young, and I and I think honestly staying patient is important. Yeah. Like you said, they could they could potentially overcome the Niners and the Rams. But I say if they're able to split two division series with their rivals because I don't even know if they did that last year. I I never uh, chose the Cardinals to win against the NFC West opponent. They split them against the Seahawks. Didn't they beat the Seahawks at one point? They beat the Seahawks Did once. Did they beat on, the Niners? Wait, they who was the one team they beat on Thursday night when Kenyon Drake went off? I oh, believe shoot. it was one of their it, division teams. It might have been the Seahawks. It might have been the Rams. Or the Rams. I I, see, the fact that we could see them beating one of these three teams at least once already is saying a lot. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying if, they, like they if they're able to go 3-3 three and three in the division, I would see that as an absolute win. And yeah. that's doable, and, and though. It, that's even if their overall final record is like 6-10. and ten. Yeah. If they can split in their division and show that they can like compete in there, this is a team that I can see being really good in two to three years. Yeah, and we've no. kind of seen this in the NFC West where it's just kind of like a cycle of like one team climbing to the top and the Cardinals might be up the next, next the next two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. And they have, I think, I mean, outside of Russell Wilson, I think uh, Kyler Murray is probably the second best quarterback in this division. Yes, so, yes, I would agree. Yeah, no doubt. So I think, yeah. Hot, and that might be a hot take from the cycle, but 
for people who actually watch football, Kyler Murray is so much better than Jared Goff or Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. 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 If Kyler Murray was on the Niners, they probably would have won the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, There's no doubt. Yeah, if he got there already, Kyler Murray could lose. hit Emmanuel Sanders wide yeah. open downfield. Easy, I think yeah. The last thing I'm going to say about this Cardinals thing before we go to the next segment, at least for me, you guys can chime in if you want anything else. Okay. But I think an ideal draft for or ideal offseason for the Cardinals is Sign Brandon Scherf's yep. with their first pick. We're saying we're saying they did all these trades. Yep. With their first pick in the first round, take an offensive tackle. Yep. The Georgia one. Yep. With their second pick that they have in the first round, take one of the big-time receivers. Yep. Um, Literally any there of them. There are T. Higgins, LaMisca Chenault, C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, mm-hmm. um, Jerry Judy, even Jalen Rager, a guy yep. from TCU. That's like He's a good guy, too, oh, yeah. who should go in the top in the first round. Um, and then with your plethora of second round picks, take a cornerback with your first defense, one. Defense, because, defense, defense. Because a corner, there are, this cornerback class is also very deep. Yeah. Um, so I think take a cornerback there. Um, take a linebacker. The linebacking class is, is decent. Um, yeah, probably they, an outside They can get linebacker. a defensive lineman. Yeah, too. and a defensive yeah. lineman. So I think that's that's ideal for this Cardinals team. And they could do plenty on in free agency too on the defensive side. There's some guys available. Yannick Ngakwe, yep. that's a name to throw out there. Uh, Joe Schilbert, the middle linebacker for the Browns, he's like their only good defensive player. He's out there. I mean, outside of Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward, I guess. Who got reinstated? He did get reinstated. In NFL news. Yeah, we could. Miles Garrett's reinstated. Just gotta put that, that out there. We could talk about that when we review the AFC North, yeah. which could we do next week? We can go to the North next. All right, yeah, we'll do uh, next week. Can't wait to hear Simon just... The Steelers are going 16-0 and winning the Super <laughs> There it is. What? Because all of the players in the NFL went to them. But anyways, yes. we'll talk about that next Tom week. Tom Brady, too. All right, <laughs> just kidding. That's never going to happen. If it does, well, I don't know. I all right, yeah, we'll talk about the AFC North next. Yeah, but anyways, uh, the Cardinals could go in a lot of different directions. They have the cap room. They have the trade, um, you know, assets. And then they have the draft picks, yep. you know. And then they're also in a division where, like, if I'm being honest, the Rams are probably going to implode. I'd, it's going to take a lot for them to do the right thing and get them right. It's not far off, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Aaron Donald is good for at least six wins a year. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you could say that. And then the Niners, I really do think they're going to have a mental slump this year. So... I don't know. All right. Do you want to just – do you have anything else? Nope. That does it for the NFC West. Okay, wait, wait, hold before, up. Let's just do our predictions of how it how it ends up. Yeah, yeah. We did that with AFC. Oh, yeah, we had the Chiefs winning at the AFC. Then, then we had the Broncos, the Raiders, and the Chargers. So let's do it for the AFC – or the NFC West, sorry. Yeah, NFC West. I think we all agreed that Seattle was going to win the division. Yes. Next year. Um – I'm going to say the 49ers next. I think the 49ers can still be a wild yeah, card I, team. Yeah, I would agree. Potentially. So. I, I feel they still have a lot of pieces on that defense, mm-hmm. which good defense gets you far. Now, granted, we are doing we are doing these based off of if they do the moves that we've talked about. Oh, well, if they do the moves, yeah. I'm picking the Cardinals to be second. the Cardinals be second? I don't yeah. know if the Cardinals will be second next year. I'm Cardinals gonna them, I'm going to put them third as well. Okay. And then the Rams at the bottom. Of the division? Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. Never mind. That's right. (laughs) I I, I don't know why. I was tripping. All right, so Seahawks first. Seahawks win it. Okay, that's right, because we skipped it. 
I skipped a team. So Seahawks first for me. Yes. Cardinals, uh, Niners probably, and then Rams. Okay. I think Niners and the Cardinals will be really close. Yes. If the Cardinals do everything I said that they should probably do, then they'll... Yeah, I think there's no doubt. I think even if they do everything that they're we still, recommended, yes. they still just don't have the talent that the Niners do. We'll Yet. see. Yet. Yet. And they'll have the talent, it just will be very young talent, and will have not been trans- like, yeah. transferred into... If Christian Kirk pulls his head out of the sand... Maybe. Yeah. Okay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with I mean Cody have the same. We're gonna go with Seattle first, and then it could be the Cardinals. But I'm gonna say the 49ers and the Cardinals are right there. I feel like the Niners can win ten games this year. Yeah. So I'm gonna put them right next to each other. Okay. And then the Rams and Bob. All right. Well, I'm rolling with the Cardinals. I didn't okay. pick him this year, but I think this is it. Okay. Well, we will revisit this one year. Following free agency in the draft, but these these are our way too early <laughs> NFL 2020 yeah. season predictions. It's the year in review anyway, so it's fine. Yeah. All right. All right. So coming up next, we're going to talk about the jam-packed NBA All-Star Weekend that we just had. Uh, probably one of the best ones in recent years. It was so good. Yeah. So coming up next. Welcome back to the third segment of the cycle. Episode 21, February 18th, which means that we are recording this following NBA All-Star Weekend, and if if we end up listening through the archives, this is the first NBA All-Star Weekend with a new format where the game is played by quarters, and it was the first team to reach a certain score, and... The first one with the Kobe Bryant MVP award. But we'll talk about all that. We're going to talk about it in order, though. Starting with the celebrity game, Friday night. All right. My favorite part was one that I still don't know his name, but he was wearing like a head. He was wearing literally every single piece of gear you could wear. You know, between the headband and the arm sleeve and, you know, the knee pads. He basically, the only thing I remember from him for was that he was chasing a loose ball. And he like slipped on nothing at half court, and he knocked the ball out of the house <laughs> yeah. trying to grab it. It was pretty bad, but that, that was really funny. That summed up the celebrity all star game for me, to be honest. And Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, so. Stephen A. S- Stephen A. Smith talked a bunch of trash he leading up to did. the game, and his team got stomped super yeah. bad, and he got teed up. His best player was Quavo, and. I mean, like, not that he's I mean, the best. He's good. Yeah, he's a good athlete. Quavo's always been a good athlete. We know he's been a football. He's probably a better football player than basketball player. But like, <laughs> he, and he won MVP oh last year. Yeah, I don't know. It was it was tough. When Stephen A. Smith was talking about it, obviously it was from his perspective. So he like, you know, over exaggerates. But he was all like, I had one ball handler and then a bunch of guys that were under six foot. So, how do you expect me to win against Mike Wilbon if that's the case? And you give him, like, all the tall people. Which is fair, because Stephen A. Smith, I think he did have a lot of shorter players. I think Spice Adams might have been his biggest player. And Spice not in the Adams. Tall, not in the tall way, either. I think you so, mean Creamy Biggums, dude. Okay, yeah. That's the, That was the moniker he was playing under. I'm, you can tell by the goggles, dude. Yeah, but he's yeah. a funny guy. Check out Spice Adams. Slash Anthony Adams on YouTube. He has some really good basketball skits. Yeah. He's the guy, uh, he's kind of like the chubbier guy whenever people make Harden memes, and he's the one with the weird jump shot and, yeah, all that stuff. Yep. You, you, 
If you're a basketball fan, you've probably seen it before. Yeah, he played so, for the Bears. So if you're a football fan, you might have heard of him. As yeah, well. but that's basically the celebrity game. Yeah, pretty much. Stephen A. Smith was uh, very mad. Got a technical. He's probably gonna suit up next year. He says he will suit up next year. He says and uh, drop fifty. That's have you ever his seen words. that two K tape? Not mine. Which one? Of the create a player, my player of Stephen A. Smith. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I have. <laughs> Yeah. If if we have the link to that, if we f- can find the link to that, we should definitely put that in the description. Yeah, we but we could find it. If you don't if you don't find it, just edit this out. But anyways. Yeah, Stephen A. Smith, he's gonna be the first player coach ever in All Star Game history <laughs> to play uh, next year. Or you know, actually, Kevin know. Hart was the first player coach. Wait, was he? Yeah. When did he coach? He was. He was. It was the year after he said he was never gonna play again. He was coaching, and then he took off his like suit and he started playing. <laughs> it, was, oh. it was a whole thing. Okay, I forgot about that. He will anyway. be the oldest player coach. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Okay. Moving on, though. Yeah. Uh, what are we gonna talk about next? The Rising, Rising Stars, Stars game? game. Yeah. Lots of fun alley oops. Always during the course of this game, Zion bent the rim. Yeah, well, when you have Zion Williamson in a game, there's going to be lots of fun alley-oops, so... Yeah, <laughs> and he's playing with John Morant. If only that was even possible in real life. Yeah. Oh, wait, it was. No, it When they went wasn't. high school together. Oh, yeah, it, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, at that <laughs> time, I meant, it was I meant possible. Professional. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's not going to happen in professional. But, high school, they played together. It that's was, true. They beat some see. good teams, including um, the Ball Brothers dynasty. If I the high school dynasty, if I do say so myself. But, yeah, but it was so. Zion, so. <laughs> yeah. But, Anyways, that was a fun game to watch. Um, no Michael Porter Jr., which was bogus. It's an interesting thing that he wasn't in there, in my opinion. Maybe they just didn't have enough spots on Team USA, which, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Team World was winning for a little bit before Team USA stormed back. Yeah, Luka Doncic hit. A uh, couple of threes, including a half-court shot. Doncic was very active during All-Star Weekend. He he was, in and more ways than was, one. As was uh, Trey Young. Pause. Wait, like, more ways? What does that mean? Oh, uh, well, he gave Cardi B a little shout-out and basically revealed he had a crush for him. <laughs> so, because I think he broke Go up. Go off, I guess. He broke up with his girlfriend, or his girlfriend broke up with him, like, two weeks ago. So, yeah. And here we, we are love now. All-Star Weekend because there's <laughs> all sorts of, like... It's a nice, like, breather from, like, sports for just a second. Yeah, it is. But, uh, yeah, it was a good game, though, all together. We saw some interesting talent. Realized R.J. Barrett wasn't totally trash, and he was just playing on the Knicks this whole time. So <laughs> Yeah, we actually that? got to see R.J. Barrett smile for the first time this entire season. Yeah, yeah poor... Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that sucks. But, anyways, we can move on. Yeah, anything else about that, or do you want to move on to the dunk contest? I feel like the biggest storyline of this weekend is the dunk contest. Wait, are we going to skip over the three and, you know, skills challenge? Oh, the three and skills challenge. Bam Adebayo won the skills challenge. I don't know if you knew that, but the center won the skills challenge. I mean, he's really athletic, so I can definitely see it. I didn't personally watch the skills challenge of the three-point competition. Well, you can touch on it. Okay, yeah. So the skills challenge... uh, Bam, Bam Bam, the center for the Miami Heat. I didn't see this one coming. I guess he could shoot some threes every now and then. It's always weird when a center wins the skills challenge because eventually you know he has to go up against a guard. So there's that. But, yeah, he won it against uh, Sabonis, who was the other guy who made it there. 
which is like okay, fine, whatever. Uh, maybe the other guys weren't trying because I'm pretty sure Trey Young was there too. Anyways. Yeah, <laughs> that's. There's like people who should be in the skills challenge too sometimes that aren't, or some people that should be in the dunk contest. Yeah. All right, you know, and then who won the three-point contest? Uh, Buddy Heald, because Devin Booker choked in the first round. Wow. And he was it's probably like the best chance. Devin Booker isn't actually that elite of a player. Well? Because I also saw him airball a three during the All-Star game. But yeah. anyways. Yeah, Buddy Heald won it easily. Uh, it was pretty exciting. You know, I think it's kind of getting to the point where you might have to, uh, you know, make the three-point challenge, just not call it the three-point challenge and just call it, like, I don't know something else because you gotta move. Th- you gotta make it harder. Well, it's getting to the point where it's a little bit too easy. So didn't this year know. they add in the four point? That was only for the celebrity game. Only for the celebrity game. game. Okay. A four point challenge would be a lot more entertaining, though. I think they are talking about putting that in. I mean, I feel like the the contestants would be smaller. The contestant pool would be smaller. I Which mean, is you basically fine. Have like That's okay. Steph Curry, Trey Young, and Clay Thompson. Devin Booker. Luca. Anyways. Cody, go ahead and tell us about the dunk contest. Yeah, we have some opinions on that. We'll go in order. We'll go in order at least. Go for it. Um, just a little bit and talk about uh, Dwight Howard probably yeah. had the most underrated dunk of the whole weekend because he did a 360, but he fully extended his arm before like dunking it so he's turning and halfway through his turn he fully extended it and then brought it back in and slammed it so he had a good start off dunk but he definitely didn't deserve to win and then that guy from milwaukee had a really good dunk yeah he had a really good dunk where he got alley-ooped and he touched it off the backboard and then slammed it and that was properly rated but what we're really here for what we're really here to talk about is how aaron gordon for the second time in his career, has gotten robbed of winning a dunk contest. Because yeah. on his final dunk, where he jumped over Taco Fall, was seven foot five, something like that. Yeah. Seven foot five, seven foot five, got a forty-seven out of fifty. But he didn't clear Taco Fall. Okay, he still jumped over easily over seven feet. Like, what do you? What are you trying to say? Like, he barely skimmed Taco, dude. He jumped over him. He jumped over Taco. His whole leg hits the back of his head. Like his, you could see his thigh paws rub up against Taco (laughs) Fall's head. You gotta use the word rub. But anyway. Well, it did happen because he didn't clear him. It happened. You know, Derrick Jones would have still below the thigh. Like, what do you mean it's below the thigh? I mean, it that wasn't like his freaking torso him. or stomach hit Taco Fall. Oh, yeah, if that like happened, he still landed he the jump over after Taco. <sighs> Bruh, I, like I'm like literally the only person who feels this way. I feel that it really wasn't that impressive. Because yeah, okay, cool. He talked. He talked over. He jumped over Taco Fall, and like he's seven five. But like, first off, he didn't clear him. Second off, it's not like he was doing anything that complicated. He literally just grabbed the ball from him, raised it up above his head, like Aaron Gordon's head, and then dunked it, and that's it. No windmills, no 360s, none of that. It was just a straight jump. Seven and a half foot tall man. 
that he jumped over. Derek Jones could have easily done that. Well, if Derek Jones is more creative, which creativity is a part of the dunk contest. He did a windmill dunk at the free throw line. He didn't even take off from the free throw line. Okay, so he was like five inches away from being at the free throw line. That, that, he was like a whole foot, like a whole NBA foot, which is a lot more. Bro, that is like basically the same thing as Aaron Gordon not clearing like, Taco Fall, though. Oh, my. No, it's not. Yes, it no, is. How is it not? Dude, oh my gosh, it's just it's not creative. If Derrick Jones could jump from the free throw line, Derrick Jones could probably have cleared Taco Fall. Wait, what? What'd you say? If Derrick Jones could jump from the free throw line, basically, you've seen him done it before, so there's that. But if he could do that, then he could jump over Taco Fall clean. Because I'm pretty sure Aaron Gordon can't jump from the free throw line. No, Aaron Gordon is a vertical jumper. I feel like Bro, what there's do you a mean? difference between not... distance and verticality. Nah, Are you serious? Dude, I will okay. say, I will I don't say, know, Chief. I will chime in here that if you can jump far, it means you can also jump high. Yeah, because if you could jump far, that bit, here's how it works. I was in uh, shoot, physics? what was it? No, not physics. The other one, <laughs> biomechanics. biomechanics. Yeah. So it's not gliding. Basically, you're just jumping up. It's a parabolic, uh, you know, thing like the U, right? And so. Basically, how it works is that he's jumping high and he's just coming down, and that's what it is. Like when he jumps across the free throw line or jumps at the free throw line, and it looks like he's gliding. It's just showing how high he could jump, and then like it's just basically him falling from then on. So that's that. So if Aaron Gordon can't do that, and he couldn't clear Taco Fall, then that means Derek Jones you, definitely okay, could have done that. that didn't clear Taco Fall literally makes it sound like he didn't succeed at the dunk. Well, he made the dunk, but you could still make the dunk without clearing somebody. Okay, do you think that that dunk was worth a 47? Yes. Did you what? What, bro? People are only liking it because it's Taco Fall and he's a meme. He's 7'5", he barely has to jump anywhere, even though he's a basketball player. And, like, I, I really do feel like it could literally have been, like, Boban Marjanovic and nobody would have cared. No, I feel like even if he dunked over Boban, it would have been a, it would have been a fifty. Yeah, barely dunked over Boban, but you know, <laughs> you know that I'm just saying. No, Aaron Gordon no. deserved to win the dunk contest, and you will not change my mind on this. Jesse, did you see the dunks? Nope. Oh my <laughs> gosh, Derek Jones did a fan. I want to put this out there. Derek Jones okay. did a fantastic job. His dunks were all really solid. And honestly, if I'm being completely honest, if we're if we're gonna compare the two and say that it should have been fair, they both probably should have got fifties because the judges were handing out fifties like crazy, like yeah. they do literally every year, and we should have got another round out of it. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Lots of controversy around. Uh... <laughs> and contest. And if year. you don't remember from a couple years ago, Aaron Gordon should have won that. Dunk contest against Zach Levine. Well, I believe that one more than this one, though. Because this one was close to me. Like, I legitimately... Like, at the end, I legitimately felt like it was close. Or, okay. sorry, and not close. It was far... Sorry, the last one was close. But this one was the one that I felt like Derrick Jones definitely well, won. Well, and if you look at... Okay, look at the look at Derrick Jones's face after Aaron Gordon dunks. That doesn't mean Derrick Jones's face said, I just lost. 
Yeah, and then if bro. you look at his face after Aaron Gordon gets a 47, Derek Jones is shaking his head because he knows that Aaron Gordon should have got more than a 47. Do you have video proof of this? Yes, I do. You can watch it right, right now. Okay, you know what? Let's, let's see it. After a brief break where we watch the dunk contest with Jesse, Jesse's here to tell us why um, he thinks I'm wrong. So I'm going to side with Simon and say that Aaron Gordon should have lost by one point. And he did. And he did. Because in today's day and age, in an all-star game, for no matter what, no matter what uh, league it is, I'm looking for... Okay, when I say spectacular, yes, jumping over to Taco Fall is spectacular. But the excitement in dunking, like the windmill dunk from... I'm going to say... Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's a foot and a half from inside the... Um, free throw line, but sure. you can see Aaron and, Gordon. And Aaron Gordon ha- hung on to the rim too. But like Aaron, that's part so of the Aaron, Aaron Gordon <laughs> did not completely clear Taco Fall. No, Taco Fall, Taco Fall's head got taken down by Aaron Gordon's body, and it just, it just, in my opinion, watching it, watching the highlights, as a person who didn't watch the game, I don't, I think, wasn't it? Derek Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. had the more spectacular dunk in the final round. Because of that. And yes, he was inside, but the thing was, his wasn't as clean, but with Aaron Gordon, like, you could see his thigh literally, like, hits Full taco, taco falls in the head, and it, like, visibly goes down. It wasn't just, like, a brush. Like, it, it hits him, like, it hits him pretty hard, I feel. So there's that, you know. And if we're being honest, the dunk itself wasn't anything... Sp- like, he didn't do a windmill over yeah, it. Yeah, he grabbed it and put it in. Yeah, or an alley-oop, even. That would have been better, too. But he pushed off of Taco Fall's head, grabbed it, and then just slammed it. And then didn't really even clear him, either. That's I- fine. I'll just have the same opinion as the as the mass that's correct. Well, you do that. Sheep, be like that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but... I'm, I'm, Hey, there we go. It was a great dunk contest, though. Yeah, I think they got it right. This is about to be the title of the podcast, by the way. <laughs> great. So Moving on, let's finish up with <laughs> the game. Yes, the game! The, the game where... Uh, I feel like Simon and I initially, when we looked at the Giannis roster, kind of clowned on him because we were like, what the heck was he doing? Yeah. It must have been the Super Bowl. But then Team Giannis actually ended up competing... And only lost by two at the end. But there are a lot of very exciting moments. Like Chris Paul caught his first career alley-oop. Congrats. From Russell Westbrook. Uh-huh. And it made me cry internally just a little bit. <laughs> internally, just to be sure. Okay. Very yeah. internal. But anyways, Cody, you did touch on this at the beginning of the, the segment. Tell us about these new rule or the, the things they did to make it more fun and crazy. So they... they Kept the score quarter by quarter, if that makes sense. So you could win like the first and second quarter, and then the other team could win the third quarter. But then they kept track of all of the points. And then at the end, they set a target score based off of how much the winning team had. Yeah. With Which, like. Come on. Well. well I think they added like 20, first to 24 from the top 
Yeah, from the winning team, the leading yeah. team. So the winning the winning score for this year was 157 points based off of the combined points from the first three quarters. Yep. And you know, it was a it was a really good game that was back and forth. I mean, Team LeBron kind of ran away with it in the first quarter, then Team Giannis kind of crunched him in the second quarter. And then the third quarter kind of came down to the buzzer. So going into the fourth quarter for the, like the target with no clock, mind you, yeah. it was a really competitive game. Game clock, by the way, not shot clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they still had the shot clock, but no game clock. They just played to the target score. And, uh, you know, there are definitely some, there are some good highlights from the show. I mean, Doncic had a couple of good plays. Simon, if you want to talk about... Doncic's performance in the All-Star game. Yeah, he had a couple threes, had some nice assists, you know, the usual. Then uh, Team LeBron took him out for the whole fourth quarter, which... And Jokic, too, by the way, which I, I didn't really like. But, you know, it's fine. You know, I guess we're just going to play whoever they like best. But whatever, when Luka takes over it's the league... It's xenophobic for them to bench the two European players in the fourth quarter. Well, when Luka takes over the league in, like, a year or two... He's going to have Jokic out there instead of Anthony Davis and LeBron. So just just you wait. You're assuming Jokic isn't going to be the captain of the team. All right, whatever. He'll keep Luka in, I assume, because that's how that works. Anyways. True. Anyways, I from I did, again, I did not watch the, the game. But from what the highlights I saw, um, it did look like a more competitive game than in the, in the recent past. Um, and that's good. I think we talked about it a little bit um, when we talked about the touch on the Pro Bowl a few weeks ago. I think, I think all-star games. I want them to be more competitive. I want them to be for something. I want them, like, I want these players to go out and compete. Yeah. We don't want them to just do what the NFL does and just kind of run around. But um, <laughs> I do think that it looked like a more competitive game than people were actually trying to play, and I, I enjoy that. I think that's what sports, professional sports, need. I feel like a lot of it had to do with the recent passing of Kobe, mm-hmm. because. Yeah. All the players afterward said that it was for Kobe. And then they also renamed the All-Star MVP after Kobe, which Kawhi Leonard was the winner of. Yeah. He hit eight three-pointers, which is insane. And I'd say that the only thing that was like disappointing for me was that it ended on a free throw. Yeah. I had flashbacks from... I told you this, Cody. Yeah. I had flashbacks from that finals years ago when... Um, LeBron hit George Hill on that same kind of cut that Anthony Davis did. George Hill went on to miss both free throws. And then uh, J.R. Smith infamously dribbled out the clock thinking they're up for some reason. <laughs> so, and the game yeah. went into overtime and the Caps got swept 4-0. Yep, and that's what happened. And then Anthony Davis missed the first free throw. Yeah. And I think he should have missed the second one on purpose. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you want to win it, you know. Yeah, yeah, they want to win, but like, I just feel like it's like kind of a boring way for the All Star game to end on a free throw. Well, if he missed it, then that means the other team would have literally just needed a two or three to win the game. Yeah, they would have got the ball with exactly one play left. No, wait. What do you mean exactly one play left? Or it would have went into. No, there's no game. Oh, yeah, no overtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically, yeah. So basically, no, Anthony Davis no. needed to make it if they're going to win because, let's be honest, Team Giannis probably would have won if they would have taken the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Two, with all it's, that it's size, still, pause, you're they right. have a lot that's, of players that could get That's why they should have, they did the right thing, but like also it's just like, from a 
audience viewers, perspective yeah. boring. Maybe you could From a change consumer that. Standpoint. Maybe, yeah, maybe you could push that for next season. Is you know, just like in twenty one, you know, sometimes people will say no, no free throws to win. Yeah, has to end on a dunk. That's what I was gonna say. Well, it doesn't have to end on a dunk, but yes. could say, you could say yes. That. You keep the same rules for next year. Just make it. It cannot end on a free throw. The oh. only way it can end is on a fadeaway pull. It's <laughs> <laughs> on a Kobe. Hey, it'd be cool if it ended on a dunk. Imagine LeBron trying to, or anybody else trying to dunk on Embiid. It wouldn't be that hard. But yeah, LeBron put on a showcase attacking the rim. He did. And you know, makes you wonder if LeBron will ever do the dunk contest. Not anymore. <laughs> He's like thirty six. I mean, he could, he could, you're really going to tell me that LeBron can compete in the dunk contest? Yeah. Probably could. I don't think he can. I think he can. Is he going to jump can. higher than Aaron Gordon or Derrick Jones Jr.? I think personally. Okay, but his alley-oops could be far and wide. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I think, I think in today's day and age, uh, the person who wins the dunk contest should be the most creative. I really think it is. Okay. That's why Blake Griffin jumping over a Kia was phenomenal. Exactly. Jumping over a car. And that's why, again, I did not, like, creativity-wise, Aaron Gordon did not win it for me this year. It's Taco Fall. <laughs> but anyways. Right. Anyways, that was All-Star Weekend. Do we have anything else you no. wanted to add? I'm excited for the Nuggets to finally be healthy. Yeah. Yep. Following All-Star break, because they were playing with, like, seven players. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Same so with the Mavericks. This marks the center center of the NBA season. Halfway and point. We will be going into the second half with renewed hopes for Cody. One one quote after the All Star game that was really funny with Jokic. He talked about how they benched him in the fourth quarter. He said they asked him how he felt about the game and he said, I mean I took two shots and I made two shots. I kinda got robbed of MVP, but there's always next year. <laughs> so he's Here's another quote to add. It wasn't during the All-Star game, but I don't think any of y'all saw this, but Kawhi Leonard was walking up to the you know, <laughs> oh, to the press podium. I don't, I don't know. He was walking up to like... He was, pro- he was walking up to where he sits down to you know have the press talk to him. And he saw Gatorade there, and he said, I'm not sponsored by Gatorade, before throwing it on the floor and sitting down and starting his press conference. And that's it. And it, was, <laughs> it was real, you know, Kawhi Kawhi is greedy. Anyways. Well, you know how it be. All right, so coming up next, Cody is going to do his own segment, his own little rant on the Stadium Series game for the NHL 2020 at Air Force Base, Air Force Academy. That was a huge mistake. Yes, as a, as a note, the one that happened in Dallas, Texas, or Arlington, Texas, went way better than this one. So Coming up next. Well, I'll talk about the one that went well in Colorado just a few years ago as well. Next. Welcome back to the Cycle 365. It is Cody Stoffer, and I'm here to wrap up the show with a recap of the NHL Stadium Series 2020 game. For those who don't know, this year, the well, for those who don't know what the Stadium Series is, it's every year the NHL hosts one outdoor game, 
And this year it was in Colorado Springs, Colorado, with the matchup being the LA Kings versus the Colorado Avalanche. And they decided to host it at Air Force Academy Stadium. Now, if you don't live in Colorado, Air Force Academy is basically a live military base. And so there's only one or two entrances in and out of Air Force Academy to get to the game. And while the, I, I will, I will, I'll start with the positives first of, of the weekend. So the aesthetic of the setup was really cool. They had a jet put inside there. I'm assuming that they just assembled it inside of the rink and the presentation looked good. The cadets were down on the floor where the ice was and they had, they said like landing 2020 and just the look of it. If you, if you haven't had a chance to look at what the stadium series setup looked like this year, that is one of the only things that was good about the entire operation. One of the other things that I thought was pretty neat was they did a flyover right before the game, which you don't normally get at hockey games because A, hockey games are indoor at arenas, and B, it was nighttime, so it was definitely surprising to see the flyover at Air Force, and they were some pretty cool-looking jets. Last positive thing about this whole experience, at least at the stadium, was that when they, they had, like, the guys that come in and hand glide in if you've ever seen those at games i know that they do them at broncos games so the first guy came in and he had a flag it wasn't the u.s flag and then a second guy came in and he came in during the national anthem and it was spectacular honestly just like the size of the flag and the timing of the video it or the timing of the song with the hand gliding it it was really nice to watch, and that got me really excited for the game that was really hard to watch. Now we're going to start to get into the negatives. Well, we'll back up a little bit. Getting into Air Force Academy was horrible, and there was reports that a bunch of people actually missed the entire game because they weren't able to get in in time. And NHL released a statement stating that they had let fans know to go there ahead of time, even as early as noon that day. However, as a ticket holder to this event, I never got any notifications of this. So I'm not really sure what they were talking about there. If they were talking about how CDOT maybe had information along the highway, but I don't drive to Colorado Springs every day. So it's probably only people in Colorado Springs who knew just how bad this was going to be. But getting into the stadium and finding parking took us about an hour and a half from once we entered onto the Southgate exit from I-25 onto Air Force Air Force Base, right? So we get there, we find a pretty, what we think is going to be a good parking spot because it's in a dirt lot and there's not a whole bunch of people there. This is the main lot, which was completely full and the people who were directing traffic weren't doing a super good job, but we brush this off, we get inside, there's not a high level of accessibility for moving these big crowds. There were people going up and down this one staircase that was probably about two people, maybe three people wide. So that proved to be really inefficient. We get up to our seats. 
there's no backing on any of these seats and which, which is which is probably expected but then they were trying to sell like these cushion seats that had backs for way too much you, you know it's just that's a marketing ploy but that's besides the point these are all minor inconveniences until we get to the actual game and the avalanches stadium series uniforms which are some of the worst uniforms i've seen at least in colorado sports because they have like the color went all the way up to their collar and it just looked like three triangles stacked on top of each other it looked really bad and then the kings had kind of sort of like a diagonal design and it was so hard to tell the difference between them with a how far it was b the angle it was at and c just how close their uniforms ended up being because the avalanches really 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 dark blue looked like the la kings is black and then the white and the white of both teams kind of matched up really well so there was no like home jersey and away jersey there were two alternate jerseys that ended up looking alike from where i was sitting there are also people who had problems with where they were sitting because they were seated close to the ice you know what's normally a good idea and they were 350 dollars tickets people couldn't even see the action they could only see the players from the chest up so being able to see was a problem for basically everyone at the game because it shouldn't have been held at air force and you know football stadiums are built different than hockey arenas being that hockey arenas are a bit more vertical and then i the then i tried to go to the bathroom and there was one bathroom for my entire section and the line going in and out of it was backwards in the first place. And it took me 25 minutes to go to the bathroom. I was standing in line to get in. And I was standing in line to leave. On top of standing in line, obviously, to use, like, the urinal or the trough or whatever. And if it was that bad for, like, the male bathroom that's usually not that big of a deal... I can't even imagine what the female restrooms looked like. That was probably an absolute nightmare. And I know that you should, like, hold it, but that's just unrealistic and foul on the venue's part to try and push that agenda. And then the Sam Hunt, like, first intermission show was... I mean, it was nothing spectacular. It was really forgetful, honestly. And I continue to watch this game. I'm frustrated frustrated because I can't see. And for those who don't know what the outcome was, the Kings ended up winning the game 3-1. to one. So I'm upset that I can't tell who's on the ice and when they're on the ice and who has the puck with how far I'm seated and how closely like designed the uniforms are. I'm upset because the Avs lost, which is, you know, that's one thing that I kind of expect going into it. But this Stadium Series game really didn't knock me away. The environment never really made it feel like it was a special game. Like, oh, this happens once a year. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was... It made me miss the Pepsi Center more than anything. And then the drive out. Oh my goodness. We were stuck in the dirt parking lot for like a whole hour because no one was directing traffic. And they were trying to direct people like this really congested way and the only reason we got out in an hour is because i decided to turn left which is not where we were supposed to go keep that on the low but i turned left 
and was able to go down like this makeshift road that they made. And then there were just lanes that weren't being used by any cars whatsoever and were completely blocked off. And it's just, it was a nightmare. Like, whoever thought this was a good idea to host a hockey game at Air Force Academy should probably be fired. I don't know if they needed to, like, they needed to make up something or make it look appealing for, like, a certain crowd. But it was such a bad idea. Think about a few years ago, it was hosted at Coors Field. And there's multiple ways to get to Coors Field. There's public transportation where you can take the light rail, you can take the bus, you can walk to the stadium, you could drive and you could park around the stadium or around Denver, and it's not that bad. But there was no ride share allowed at the Air Force Academy game. So no Uber, no Lyft. So people were walking this multiple mile stretch from the gates of Air Force all the way to the stadium. Which, and, and this is in like sub 30 degree weather especially by the end of the game and they oversold tickets there there was no room we were crammed in there like anchovies basically for our seats and it was really makeshift and it just the whole operation kind of felt like like they weren't really committed to it like they kind of uh i'm trying to think of a different word because the one i'm think trying to use is inappropriate they half they they didn't give their full effort to it, and they didn't think ahead. I think they were only thinking about the potential aesthetic benefits and nothing else, because the rest of the experience was horrible. If I knew what I knew now, following the game, before the game, about what it was going to be like getting in, getting out, and all of that hassle, I I wouldn't have gone. And that's, that's saying something, because I've seen a lot of my sports teams lose. I have a really bad record. I think it put me at 6-12. and 12. But I would still go because the experience was fun or the atmosphere was good or the people I went with were good, which the my friends were the best part about it. But everything, everything else was bad. Like, the environment was... It was not worth it. It was not worth my time where this was basically like an all-day thing, driving down from Greeley, Colorado to Colorado Springs just to watch this game where I didn't know who was playing, I didn't know who had the puck, and it took forever to get in and out, and it was just so poorly handled. It was probably one of the biggest mistakes that the NHL has made in the past few years, especially regarding specialty events. So that's my two cents on the 2020 Stadium Series game. Since then, the Avs have most recently beat the Islanders, and they lost to some other team before that, who was good. And the Kings was kind of supposed to be our bounce-back game. So from an avalanche perspective, that was a tough game, especially because Grubauer got concussed. And from a fan's perspective, it was a really horrible experience and probably the only negative experience I've had, like overall net negative experience I've ever had at a sporting event. But that does it for this episode of The Cycle 365. Thanks for hearing me rant. If you were at the game, let me know what you thought. And if you disagree with me, I'm just going to tell you that you're wrong because it was a bad, 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 horrible, awful, not great, terrible idea on the NHL's part. But thank you so much for joining all of us here at The Cycle, and we will catch you next time.